House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. I'm your host today, Al Warren. Kev Thompson is off on assignment. So now we're go we're going back to uh, Western days, and uh, you know we just love doing this. And today we have a a great author, and uh, we're going to focus on his book, The Last Outlaws, and that's the lives and legends of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. So joining us now is Tom Hatch. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, now, you write a lot of westerns. Um, was there a particular reason that Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid uh, became a couple of uh, cowboys you wrote about? Well, I'll tell you, they, there was none other like them in the, in the West. Uh, they had traits that uh, are admirable, if you can put it that way, for outlaws. Jesse James was a cold-blooded killer. Billy the Kid was a cold-blooded killer. Butch and Sundance were the most successful outlaws in the West, and they did not kill a person until the day they died. Uh, that was one of the... Uh, rules that they had for their gang. Their gang had some of Harvey Logan, Kid Curry, some of the most brutal killers in the West, but they were not allowed to kill anybody during their robberies. And they did not rob passengers on a train, or they did not rob people in a bank, individuals. They robbed the corporations because they thought the corporations were sticking it to the little guy. And so they kind of wanted to get back at them, and they were they were more like a Robin Hood than anybody else. And, and the fact is, they were never caught. They, they were never caught in the United States uh, because they had another trait, and that was they planned their getaway as seriously as they planned the holdup itself. Butch would have horses, oh, two miles out of town. So if a posse came after him, he'd change horses two miles out of town, have a fresh horse. He'd have it. Five miles down the road, he'd have more horses. And so they planned their getaway very carefully. And um, so they were they were like gentlemen cowboys in a way. And uh, they didn't like people that were taking advantage of the working man, and, uh, and they were the working men. Uh, yeah. Both of them were cowboys, good wranglers with horses, and made their living that way uh, in, in, uh, in quite a few years. But... They both had larceny in their hearts, <laughs> so uh, that that ended up uh, with uh, with a lot of successful bank and train robberies. So, uh, but they were they were different from the standpoint that they were not killers. Right, right. Now, you know, you know, they come together. Butch Cassidy, um, his story. Um, he was from a Mormon family, if I remember right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. He, he he was from a Mormon family in Utah, Beaver, Utah. And um, so what made him leave the Mormon faith, so to speak, and uh, kind of get into um, robbing uh, the banks? Well, there were a couple different uh, things that happened. Number one was his father was uh, not a devout Mormon. His father had... Uh, was involved in a land dispute with a neighbor, and in those days in, in Utah, the bishops were the ones who uh, decided right from wrong and, and were basically the justice of the peace and the judges, and so uh, a, a bishop ruled against his father on a land dispute with a neighbor, and, and this turned the father against uh, the Mormon religion, and so Butch kind of went with him. The mother stayed in the religion. She schooled the kids. Butch was schooled in the in the Bible in the Book of Mormon, and as a kid, but uh, that kind of uh, turned him away. Then he was uh, a big kid, and so he was hired out to work at a, at a neighboring ranch. And uh, he went into town one day. He needed a pair of coveralls, overalls, jeans, and uh, went into the store, and the store was closed. So he jimmied the door open, went in, and got himself a, a pair of jeans and a piece of apple pie. Of course, 
being a growing kid, he needed apple pie. And he left a note for the uh, for the owner of the store saying, uh, next time I come into town, I'll pay you for this. Well, he gets back to the ranch, and the next day the sheriff shows up and arrests him. And he's taken into jail because he stole these jeans and this piece of apple pie. And uh, even though it was all settled, he, he still had a very bad taste in his mouth. But he, he basically got involved with a guy named Mike Cassidy. His name was Robert Leroy Parker, by the way, which Cassidy's real name. And he, he got involved with a guy named Mike Cassidy, who was a cowboy on that ranch where he worked. And Mike Cassidy was a, was a common criminal. And he took Butch under his wing, and Butch wanted to be like him. And when Butch, Butch had to leave the county because he got in some problems with that, it was rumored he was rustling and other things. And uh, he took the name Cassidy in, in honor of his friend Mike Cassidy. But it's basically, uh, there wasn't a whole lot that set him off. And he, he was a happy-go-lucky kid. He was the uh, oldest of 12 brothers and sisters. And uh, he, he was just a big kid who had fun with them. He'd organized grasshopper races and all kinds of things. He was a very uh, gregarious man and uh, likable. Everywhere he went, he was liked. But he, again, had this, uh, this trait, this larceny in his heart. So that's basically how he got uh, involved in crime. Uh, why did he call himself Butch? Like Cassidy after the guy that kind of... Um, brought him along in, in, in the business, so to speak. But wh where did Butch come from? Yeah, I know. that That's one of those that uh, will never be proven. Uh, he, he, did, he did work for a butcher briefly in Rock Springs, Wyoming, and some say it came from that. Uh, Mike Warner, who was a, another criminal that rode with Butch, wrote a book and said, no, just started calling him Butch. Okay, <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Really, really don't know. I mean, uh, the problem we have in putting together the lives of, of outlaws is they didn't leave a whole lot of, you know, information, diaries, whatever, and they, they used aliases a lot. So uh, that was just one thing that disappeared from the pages of history. Yeah, yeah. And so, so how did he uh, meet up with the Sundance Kid? And, and who was the Sundance Kid? Well, the Sundance Kid, he was an interesting character. His name was Harry Alonzo Longabaugh. He grew up uh, just north of Philadelphia. His uncle had a canal boat, and he worked on the canals as a kid. They would work long, long hours going up and down the, the canals, carrying goods. Then they'd have to take care of the mules later on. And, and Harry was an interesting kid because he liked to read. He was a wild kid, but he liked to read. He actually spent $1 on a library card back then, which which was a lot of money at, at the time when he was 14 years old, and he would take out these books on Jesse James and Billy the Kid and Wild Bill Hickok and loved to read about all of those guys, Wyatt Earp, and uh, little did he know that he someday he would join them. Uh, his favorite book was, a, was an Australian book uh, called Robbery Under Arms. Uh, a tale of a, of a lovable villain who had high moral standards of loyalty and honor and was innocently led into a criminal life. And that basically summed up uh, Sundance's life. He was a cowboy. He went out to Cortez, Colorado to live with his uncle at age 14. And he might have run into Butch at that time. Butch was in, in the neighborhood. Uh, but we don't know that for sure. But he learned how to wrangle horses and work cattle, and so he wanted to see the West and be a cowboy. He took off. He went up to Wyoming and worked as a cowboy and a horse wrangler. He became very well respected with his ability of handling uh, livestock. And unfortunately, what happened was in 1860, or I'm sorry, 1886 to 1887, the winter came, and it was the greatest blizzard in the history of this country. An estimated 90% of rain stock in Wyoming and Montana died during that blizzard. And there were giant cattle ranches. You're talking about hundreds and hundreds, millions of thousands and thousands of, 
of of cattle who died and horses, and and also ranches were buried. And uh, this was where uh, Charlie Russell, the famous artist, of course, uh, uh, Sundance as, in, as Harry Longabaugh shared a bunkhouse with Charlie Russell at one point. As a matter of fact, up in Montana, this was the point where Charlie Russell uh, uh, drew his famous picture. Last of the Five Thousand, that started out his career as an artist, where it was a starving cow, with with coyotes standing nearby waiting for it to die to kill it and eat. And uh, so, ninety percent of the stock was gone. So ninety percent of the cowboys were not needed, and Harry was one of those. So he started drifting, looking for a grub state, looking for a job anywhere went to Deadwood, South Dakota, which was a party town, and couldn't find anything there. He kept drifting. He went to a ranch, got to this ranch, and uh, found uh, an abandoned, he thought, horse and saddle and six-gun, and he stole it, took it, and he was going to go sell it. Well, they caught him. That was near Sundance, Wyoming. They caught him, and uh, he... uh, went to prison. I, there, there was an interesting aspect where when the uh, sheriff did, did catch him, uh, supposedly Sundance jumped from a moving train that he claims was going 100 miles an hour to get away. But uh, they recaptured him. He went to prison for 18 months for horse stealing, just like Butch had gone to prison for 18 months for horse stealing. Butch stole a $5 horse. But... Uh, then they they called him Sundance when he when he got out of there. It was funny when they captured him. They put in the paper, "Oh, we've captured one of the most vicious outlaws in the West who makes Jesse James look like a school marm. He's just so bad." And and Harry Longabaugh took umbrage with this newspaper article, so he wrote a letter to the editor from from jail saying, "Look." I'm just a hungry cowboy that was wandering through, and I said, not Jesse James. I didn't do any of this. But eventually he got out of prison, and uh, all of these outlaws gravitated to certain places in the West. Hell's uh, 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 back acre, you might call it. And uh, they uh, they ended up at a place of uh, the Bassett Ranch, in Browns Park, Colorado, and they believe that that's where Butch and Sundance met at one Thanksgiving, where the outlaws served as uh, as um, waiters, uh, and everybody in the whole neighborhood came. It's a place where uh, lawmen didn't show up because it was easy to get away. It was near uh, other uh, states, near near Utah, near Wyoming, so you could escape. So the lawmen didn't show up. It was said that Tom Horn came through there once looking for bad guys, and Butch ran him off. So, I don't know. That's just a rumor. That's why my book was called The Lives and Legends, because you don't know if a lot of it's true. But they supposedly met at that time. They both loved to read. The Bassetts had a library there on the ranch. The Bassetts, by the way, were an interesting family. One of the ladies was in love with Butch, and he had an affair with her on and off over the years, supposedly never married her. And uh, there were two sisters. The younger one was wild over him, but she was a little young. Uh, and and the Bassetts would, would buy uh, uh, things that showed up, whether it was a gun or a saddle or a cow or a horse, no uh, questions asked. So they were kind of fences for the outlaws in the area. They were, ran a ranch. And the daughters were as tough as, uh, as any outlaw, the Bassett girls. And uh, that's where Butch and Sundance met. They, they both found they had a lot in common. They liked to read, for example, and they liked to drink, and they liked the girls. And they had larceny in their heart. And so Butch made a, a perfect balance for Butch because or, I'm sure Sundance made a perfect balance for Butch because Butch was uh, was a was a happy-go-lucky kind of guy, a thinker, and Sundance was a little moody at times and and had an edge to him, and Butch knew he could bounce ideas off of Sundance and Sundance could add 
to the equation. As I say, Butch was probably the finest planner of, of bank robberies and, and train robberies the West or any other time has ever seen. He didn't just bust in there and start shooting. He had it all planned out. He knew exactly when and where and how. And so they got together, and uh, because of the Bassett Ranch and all the people that went through, they had a revolving gang that ended up being called the Wild Bunch that had some of the toughest and meanest and most vicious outlaws in the West, but they all obeyed Butch and Sundance, and they didn't shoot anyone. And uh, uh, one, one, of the, one of my favorites was Harvey Logan, a cold-blooded killer. Bruce Dern played him in a movie, and it was perfect, because Bruce Dern, we all know, was evil, because he shot John Wayne. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Harvey, Harvey Logan was in the bunkhouse up there with Charlie Russell and Sundance, for example, up, up north. And a lot of them were, as I say, that blizzard of 86, 87, put them all out of, out of business as cowboys. Other, and Butch had a, had a good business going until he found he could make some money elsewhere. Now, I will add an asterisk on that, where I have earned my spurs as a cowboy. I work days, uh, I'll get a call from a neighboring rancher saying, hey, how'd you like to get out of your office for a day? And I'll go and I'll work cattle, whether it's doctoring or branding or mending fence or or breaking water on uh, on stock tanks. But uh, so I put in long days as a cowboy, and so I know how Butch and Sundance felt that when you're a cowboy, you're sitting there thinking, "Man, there's got to be an easier way," <laughs> and you're thinking about, "Yeah, I could go rob that bank. I go rob that stagecoach." <laughs> And so I understand where their where their mindset was, and a lot of these cowboys that were set loose. So, so Butch and Sundance they uh, they planned these these robberies and they pulled them off and uh, and got away with the loot, lots of loot. Yeah, yeah. Now, why is it that they were the leaders, kind of? Like, didn't anybody challenge them, or was it they were just too good with guns, or what was it that? about them that kept them kind of uh, the head of the pack? Well, I think it's because they proved themselves that they could pull off a robbery. Uh, there were times when, when other members of the Wild Bunch went off on their own and tried to pull off a robbery and, and couldn't. <laughs> they they ran into problems and they had to start shooting and get themselves out of there. There was one up in... Uh, in Malta, Montana once, where it was 16 degrees below zero, and they stopped this train, and, and they didn't they thought there was a big payroll on it, and they didn't realize that, oh, today's Monday, and the banks were closed on Sunday, so there was no payroll. Well, Butch wouldn't have made that mistake. <laughs> so they, they knew that they would, they would get a cut, they would get a share. They trusted Butch and Sundance, and it was... They, they would go their own way, and then others would show up, and then others would come back, and they would all uh, take orders from Butch and Sundance. I think Sundance kind of a full, he, he kind of uh, kind of protected Butch that way uh, also. He, as I say, he had an edge to him. He was eating br uh, breakfast cereal one day, and, and a guy, uh, one of the guys in the, in the bunkhouse uh, laughed at him. Oh, you're eating that sissy uh, food and everything. He pulled out his pistol and put it in the guy's nose, and uh, the guy said, yeah, 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 I eat that all the time myself. It's really good stuff. So <laughs> Butch was kind of, or, uh, Sundance was kind of the enforcer of, of the pair. Was he like a really good shot? But, but, but you're saying they never killed anybody in the robberies. Had they killed people outside of robberies? They never killed anybody until they shot it out with the Bolivian army the day they died. So you can basically say they didn't kill anybody until the day they died. Wow. Uh, that, that's quite a feat in itself. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it uh, is. Yeah, and to be in that kind of business uh, where you're robbing uh, banks and trains and everything else to never actually kill anybody, that's, um, I don't know, pretty, pretty good. Well, that's why I say that's that's what made them different. They weren't cold-blooded, vicious killers. They were 
They were more frustrating to the authorities because they were so good. Others weren't that good. I mean, uh, look at the uh, James Younger people up in the Northfield, Minnesota raid. They got blown to pieces. And all of these people ran into a ran into a bad situation at one point or another, and their and their robbery uh, turned bad. Uh, which almost ran into a problem at one point, but Castlegate, Utah, he's there, and uh, they uh, were going to steal the mining payroll. So they were hanging around town for a week, which was kind of odd because the whole town was miners, and here's a few cowboys hanging around town. And the train came in with the payroll, and uh, uh, all the miners were assembled there in the... Uh, around the uh, office waiting for the paymaster to go to the train and come back and and pay them. He went to the train, he came back, and and Butch stuck a gun in his ribs and said, give me the payroll. And all these people were there. And his partner had his horse, and his horse bolted and ran. And Butch is standing there with with, uh, hundreds of angry miners around him. <laughs> he said, just keep calm. Everything's going to be okay. Just keep calm. And fortunately, his partner got the horse under control, came back, and Butch mounted, and off they went and uh, stole the mining payroll there at Castle Gate. About uh, 7000 in gold and 1000 in cash and eight sixty in silver, and they ended up... <laughs> here. Here's the bad thing about being a... a a uh, robber like that is the silver got so heavy that they ended up dropping it by the side of the road and just took the gold and the cash. <laughs> it was just too heavy for the horses and everything to carry. So too much. They, uh, so some some honest person I'm sure came along and found that silver on yeah. the side of the road. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, how long did they get away with this kind of? Uh robberies and uh, this kind of lifestyle and and why is it the, poli- uh, the the police or the the sheriffs never caught them well as i say uh the, the last question first uh, the sheriff never caught them the posse's never caught them because they planned so well uh, which was was perfect on his planning um uh, and and he made sure nothing went wrong and and the problem you have they they went on oh for uh, the decade of the, of the 1890s, they, they went on successfully. But what you have is a problem that uh, they, what, the, what happened was they ran into the 20th century, and suddenly they weren't running from local posses anymore. They were running from a sophisticated system, and that system had the ability to send pictures around real quick and it was fenced-in range, telephone lines, electric lights, and and uh, these new crime-fighting techniques uh, uh, put a stop to them. And they realized that they were going to be caught at some point if they kept this up, because the posse's couldn't catch them, but the uh, the telegraph wire could, and the telephone could, where they could cut the lines, and and they did cut the lines in many cases, but. There was just too much going on now, and they were getting too well-known. What happened is they went to San Antonio, and five of them sat for a photograph. And it was such a cool photograph that that the photographer put it in his window. And it just so happened that a Pinkerton man walked by and said, Gee, a couple of those guys look familiar. They Up to that point, they didn't know what Butch looked like or Sundance. But a couple of them in there. There was Ben the Tall Texan Kilpatrick in there, and and Harvey Logan was in there, and and uh, so he recognized those guys. And uh, William News Carver was in the picture. Also, he called himself News because he loved seeing his name in the newspaper. But uh, so then they had finally they said, well, that's got to be Butch, and that's got to be Sundance. So suddenly the Pinkertons had their photos and could send them around everywhere in the country. So things started getting a little hot for them. 
And they were not stupid guys, as previously noted. Uh, they said, we've got to get out of here. We've got to go somewhere. And uh, so that's when they decided that they just might leave the country. Wow. And that's, so that's when they decided on Bolivia. Yeah. Uh, they thought about Mexico. They thought about Canada. Butch, or, uh, Sundance had owned a bar in Canada briefly with a guy that he ended up uh, uh, slugging the guy and taking the money out of the till and leaving because the guy was cheating him, and so he got fed up with being a businessman. Uh, and they knew Canada, the, the Mounties, were, were pretty good. They would uh, they would perhaps catch them. So the rumor is, and as I say, you know, it's tough to sometimes pin down reasons, but uh, rumor has it uh, they were reading the National Geographic magazine and saw a, uh, uh, a picture spread and a uh, narrative about Patagonia in South America and said, wow, that really looks like the Old West all over again. We can go back to our roots. We, All right, let's let's do that. So they they did a couple of train robberies and a bank robbery in Winnemucca, Nevada, and, and uh, stocked up on some money, and they decided they would go to Patagonia. And uh, so by that time, Sundance had a girlfriend who was called Etta Place. In the movie with Paul Newman and uh, Robert Redford, she was allegedly a schoolteacher. Nobody really knows who she was. And uh, the rumors have gone that she was a, uh, a working girl from a, from a brothel down in San Antonio, or she was a, a ranch girl from Texas. Supposedly they met her down in Texas, and uh, she started traveling with Sundance, and they eventually did get married, supposedly. He wrote to his sister and told her that and stopped in and introduced her to his sister in Pennsylvania at one point. And uh, nobody knows other than the fact that Pinkertons wrote that she could ride and shoot and spit as well as any man. So she certainly was probably ranch-raised, no matter what she had become after that. So the three of them, Butch, Sundance, and uh, Etta went to New York City and had a big old time in New York City for a while. Sundance went to Tiffany's and bought himself a watch, bought a brooch for, for Etta. That watch that he bought at Tiffany's had a number on it, and that was one of the ways they identified who had died in Bolivia year, years later when they shot it out with the Bolivian police that in the, in the person's possession was this watch that... Uh, that Harry Longabaugh had bought at Tiffany's. And so they took uh, took the ship uh, to uh, to Brazil and then on to Argentina and uh, uh, decided to uh, become honest, which for people with larceny in their heart, that doesn't last too long, but it lasted long enough for them to build up a wonderful ranch and uh, down in Patagonia, not far from Chile. And they had uh, markets in Chile and around there for cattle and horses. And they they uh, gathered around them quite a bit of stock. It was kind of funny when they went down there because the vaqueros laughed at them. Oh, look at these Anglos. They, they don't know what they're doing or anything. And suddenly Butch and Sundance start roping and shooting, and these guys are in total awe of them that these were super cowboys. And so they immediately had great respect down there in Patagonia. So, so what, uh, that's what, how they basically... What, what drew them to Bolivia country. then? Uh, what, what was the... Um, if they were doing well with the ranch and kind of going, you know, straight, legit, um, what made them, uh, you know, get away from that? Well, there were a couple of things, and, and, and you like to attribute the first one to them just being, uh, they looked out for easy money, and, and, you know, they were kind of primitive in their banks back then. But what had happened is the Pinkertons caught wind that they might have left the country, so they were sending uh, pictures of them around, and 
one of them got down into their area, and the sheriff came to, to let them know that, hey, they're looking for you, and uh, we aren't going to do anything to you, but, but the Pinkertons are looking for you. And um, the Pinkertons didn't want to come to South America to arrest them. They hadn't killed anybody, so that's one thing. They weren't, they weren't wanted for murder, even though they, there, was, there was a few they were attributed to or proved otherwise later on. But the sheriff, uh, you know, basically uh, told them that the Pinkertons were on their trail. Well, the Pinkertons were using them back in the States as a fundraising uh, tool. They were saying, yeah, we want to go after them, but we got to raise money. Please donate money to us so we can go after Butch and Sundance. Well, the railroads and the banks didn't really care any longer. If Butch and Sundance weren't there to rob their places, then they weren't giving money to anybody for it. So the Pinkertons never did come after them in South America, but they felt that they were on the trail, and there was that kind of thing, well, what do you want to do? Okay, well, so they knocked off a couple banks in, in, in uh, the area and, uh, and stagecoaches, and again, they didn't steal from the people themselves. And uh, they stole in Argentina there. And um, in 1905, Etta disappeared. And uh, right after a robbery of 90,000 in pesos at uh, Via Mercedes, Argentina, there's been a lot of speculation on what happened to Etta. I am the first one to put forth this idea, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> lots of them say that Etta had, uh, you know, appendicitis and had to go back to the States, or Sundance didn't want to start a family, so she went back to the States, or she had this other problem, gallbladder, and went back to the States. That she had gone, they had gone back a couple of times while they'd lived in Bolivia and traveled around, but she went back. They said they, she went back alone. She had left Sundance. That's the best they could come up with. I came up with something that's a little more solid. They had this robbery at uh, Via Mercedes Bank, and there were three of them that robbed this bank. Butch, Sundance, and an unknown person on a horse. The posse chased them, and the posse swears that they shot one of them that was riding on the horse, and that person slumped in the saddle, and and one of the other riders came by to steady that person in the saddle as they escaped, and they did escape. And I contend that that person was Etta that was shot. And to be, you know, a, a romantic novelist at heart like I am, I can see uh, Sundance, and Butch, uh, she died in Sundance's arms, buried in an unmarked grave in Argentina. And uh, Butch and Sundance couldn't tell anybody about it, or they'd be admitting to the robbery. Right. But that third person, and they, they were not known to have anybody else with them whatsoever on any of those robberies in, in South America. It was just the two of them, and then, of course, the three of them. And that was when exactly the same timing as when Edda allegedly went back to the States. They didn't find her name on any passage. See, Edda can't be traced. That's the interesting thing. Uh, Edda Place is not a real name. Edda was probably her name. Place was Harry Longabaugh's mother's maiden name, and he would use an alias of Harry Place quite often. And so... He gave her that alias, obviously, at a place. So others have said, oh, yes, there was a place family in Iowa that uh, had a girl that ran off. No, sorry. <laughs> he couldn't have been that. So, you know, but I, I believe that that's how Etta ended uh, her time with Sundance and Butch, is that she didn't go back to the States. She didn't leave Sundance uh, except in death. She died in his arms. They buried her in an unmarked grave. Yeah. But that's my theory. No one ever came up with that theory before I did, and I guess they didn't study that uh, 
that bank robbery and via Mercedes to to try and speculate who might have been with them. So they did invite others down, but none none of them would come. Harvey Logan was even invited, the, the murderous guy who... He had warrants for 15 murders, but he probably killed two to three times more than that, including a number of peace officers. He was one bad dude. (laughs) Very bad. How how, how Butch controlled him, I don't know, but just the threat of having him there (laughs) would would stop anybody from from causing trouble, knowing who he was. So, you know, that's my story, and I'm sticking to that one, because I I really, I think it's plausible, and, and... and that's what happened to Etta. Well, it so. makes a lot of sense, you know. Uh, so now there's a lot of talk about um, if they did actually get shot up in Bolivia, and and uh, people have written books and talked about that, that the bodies were not really Butch and Sundance, uh, and um, that uh, they had come back to the States. And I think the sister also said that she had seen him. And uh, what's your take on that? Well, I personally think that they died there, and the reason for that is is because of what they found with the bodies. And it wasn't it wasn't a massive shooting like they showed in the movie, where the whole Bolivian army surrounded <laughs> this little hacienda. What it was is. Um, they heard these two guys were in there, and there was a mule. They had they had, they had pulled off a, a, a robbery on a mountainside called Dead Cow Hill. I won't pronounce it in Spanish, but it was Dead Cow Hill in Bolivia. They got away with $90,000 from a, uh, the payroll mules were two days out from Tapiza on a three-day ride to the mines. And uh, they got ninety grand off of that, and there was... Uh, uh, a mule driver and a boy along with him, and it was out in the middle of nowhere. And they could have uh, they could have killed the two people, and no one would have ever known that they had been the ones to pull off the robbery. Instead, they let them go because they did not kill people. They let them go and stole a mule to take the the money. And the uh, the mule driver ran into the nearby town and yelled, "Hey, they stole the payroll!" And so uh, they, the whole area was looking for them. They, they was just swarmed the army and 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 uh, the miners and vigilantes. They just town citizens formed groups to catch them. They checked into this hacienda uh, in uh, uh, San Vicente, Bolivia, November sixth, nineteen oh eight, and uh, they had the mule with them. And the, the person that, that rented them the uh, hacienda uh, recognized the mule as having army insignias on it. So he went to the local barracks where there were only just a few soldiers and a sergeant. And the captain was out drinking. They couldn't find him. And he told the sergeant about it. So the sergeant took a couple of his men and they went to this hacienda. As soon as Butch saw him, he shot him. Shot him dead. First person that he or Butch had shot in their lifetime. So what had happened is all of these citizens started coming, and and whatever soldiers were left around the barracks, they started coming, and they were shooting and shooting and shooting and blowing this hacienda to pieces. And uh, the problem uh, that you have on it is that uh, it looks like it was a murder-suicide. It looks like Butch put his that Sundance was shot up a bit and Butch put his pistol to Sundance's forehead and and shot him and then took, put it on himself. He was not going to be taken alive. They knew they would be put in jail for forever for prison, and, and he'd done that, and he wasn't going to do it again. Uh, okay, so they buried them there in the graveyard at San Vicente. They... Uh, at one point, sent over famed forensic scientist Clyde Snow. He worked on the bones of Little Bighorn and some other things. He was he was uh, pretty well known. So they exhumed bodies that they thought might be Butch and Sundance, and ended up with uh, one set of the bones was an Indian girl. Once they got back to the states, and another uh, was a miner 
who had blown himself up with some dynamite. So they knew who these people were. Now, as far as Lula, Butch's sister, she uh, she was writing a book. <laughs> and uh, so she had him dying in Mormon ancestry records. She had him dying in November, November 6, 1908. Oddly enough, the same day he was shot and killed there in uh, San Vicente. And she changed it. She petitioned the Mormon ancestry record uh, to change that to accommodate her because she had this big story that Butch came back in the 1930s and went out in the fields and said hey to a few people and, oh, yeah, that had to be Butch. And, oh, yeah, I knew him as a kid and that had, you know, all of this. And uh, so that's very suspect that he, that he came back and, and the sister who wrote this book, and some of her book is okay, you know, when she recounted uh, their youth and things like that about the parents, and that, you know, that's pretty factual, but she, she went off board here and had to change those records, so we know that's kind of bogus. Then there's always been people, imposters, uh, people who build themselves as Sundance Jr. and others. It was funny, a couple years, while I was writing the book, these people I know, uh, I won't mention their names because it's kind of an embarrassment to them, came out, oh, we've, we've bought this autobiography, we, we know who, who Butch was, he came back to the States, and he's really William T. Phillips, this guy from, I think he was up in Washington, gee, that's odd, but he, uh, he uh, wrote this biography, well, it just so happens that... Uh, that this guy was a cellmate of Butch at one point and knew some things about Butch. <laughs> and so he wrote this bogus, bogus uh, book about, uh, about my life, Butch Cassidy. And it's, it's readily available online, and it's kind of a funny read because he'll, he'll use crazy terms in it that, that Butch never would have used or, or known about even, so mod, some, some modern terms. But... Uh, so it's been many imposters, but as you know, with all Old West outlaws, we don't allow them to stay buried. <laughs> we, we dig them up in legend all the time. And, uh, but I personally believe that they, they did die over there. They went through their belongings, and Butch's belongings uh, pointed to him and Sundance, as I mentioned. There was a watch from, from Tiffany's, so, uh, you know... Nobody's proved any different, and they haven't dug up the whole graveyard. And there's people that do make pilgrimages there uh, to take a look at it. It's up in the middle of nowhere, and uh, the, the locals are not too happy about having people show up. <laughs> but uh, so there might be more graves. Who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, but I think I think they met their demise over there at the hands of the army and the citizens of the city, and. Uh, they could have gotten away to live another day, rob more banks, more payrolls, if they'd have shot those two people out in the mountains, out in the middle of nowhere, where their bodies wouldn't have even been. They could have hid their bodies out there, and they would have never been found. They yeah. would have never known what happened to them. So, uh, but they did not. Yeah. So all we know is that both of them together have one murder attributed to them, and that's when Butch shot the sergeant that showed up at his door and, and surprised him. Yeah. Uh, so what do you think it is about um, Western, like, cowboys and, and outlaws, like Billy the Kid and, and um, Wyatt Earp and Butch Cassidy and Sundance and all that stuff? Why are the outlaws so famous, like so so popular? Why why do we hold them so dear? Well, I don't know. People are still fascinated with uh, uh, all of the modern-day serial killers as well, the Ted Bundys of the world and, you know, and all of them. That you know, Charles Manson has a book written about him every, every year, <laughs> at least one new book. And the same with Billy the Kid and Jesse James. I mean, what's new? What have they done lately? Nothing, but they continue, the, these idiot authors like me, you know, come <laughs> up with stuff 
and <laughs> say, I need to have a book published, so let me see. Billy the Kid, uh, what did he do? Okay, I think he went over, you know. Yeah. And so you try and tie him into something, and uh, because the public just seems to be fascinated with serial killers. Look at Bonnie and Clyde. Look at Dillinger. Look at Al Capone. That series of people there. Then you go into the Bill Doolins and the Reno brothers. And, you know, there's so many of them over the years that, you know, people uh, people are captivated by stories of these people, I guess, that had the guts to pull the trigger. I don't know. Yeah, they're cold-blooded murderers. As I say, Jesse James... He even shot a girl on a train once when she stuck her head out the window. I mean, they would go in and rob the passengers and beware if you tried to keep that gold watch or, or whatever you had. Butch and Sundance did not touch the passengers whatsoever, and they were safe, and uh, they didn't want to hurt anyone. They did have those two episodes with the... Uh, with the uh, guy in the, in, on the train named Woodcock who uh, <laughs> didn't want to give up the the, uh, the express car door. He didn't want to open the express car door, and they blew him up with dynamite, but he, he lived through that one. And then the next train that they robbed, he was on that one too, but he opened the door this time. So... Uh, <laughs> so but, that, uh, <laughs> that, that movie was pretty pretty close to the true story. In a lot of ways, it was. They were happy-go-lucky kind of cowboys, you know, and, and that's why they kind of showed them wisecracking, and, you know, they were like that. They they liked, uh, you know, drinking and gambling and running around. Uh, Sundance was a little more aloof, quick-tempered, had a lightning draw, and Butch was shrewd. And Butch was basically just a natural-born leader. I mean, you ask how he could... He could uh, keep these people in line. Well, he was a tough guy too. I don't think they wanted to, to mess with him. But um, Butch once got shot right in the head by a sheriff. But it was a it was a short round. It was a misfire, and the bullet bounced off his skull. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that was in his younger days. <laughs> Butch was off. Was a was a jockey. He was a horse jockey. They had a horse and in uh, southwestern Colorado, not far from Cortez, where where uh, Sundance's um, uncle had the, the, the horse ranch. They had a horse out there named Betty, and Betty could beat anything. And so they, they ran against everybody until no one would run. They took it all around the West and with Butch as the jockey and won every race. And uh, that's where Butch saw his first person killed, and that maybe turned him off from killing, where they, uh, they had beaten some, uh, some Indians, some Native Americans, some Ute Indians, and they, uh, part of when you win a race, you get the other person's horse as well. As they, they took this, the horse of this Indian, and this Indian came wanting his horse, and uh, one of the guys that Butch was with shot him, shot him dead. And they, you know, and Butch was was kind of appalled at that. Yeah. And uh, maybe that maybe that's what happened to turn him off to kill him. And of course, Sundance, his grandfather started a Baptist church there, and and Sundance sat in the pews every Sunday. He was very religious as a kid as well, and and thought himself to be moral and ethical in his own uh, way, as he saw it. You know, <laughs> he could justify it. Yeah. So. Well, did they did they stay close with their families during the times in the states when they were doing all the robberies, or were they completely distant from them? Well, that's that's the sad part. Butch left, and he never came home again. He he went to Telluride, Colorado, which was a boom town, and ended up robbing a bank there. That was his first successful bank robbery where he had planned the getaway. He had been working in the mines where he'd been taken ore up and down a hill and that was a, a tough job but he got 20 grand in cash and that started him on his road to crime and it got back to uh, to his father about that, that that he'd maybe been involved and his father came to see him in Telluride his brother also came to Telluride for some quick money and his brother was killed in a, in a horse uh, riding accident which, which affected Butch but the father came and tried to convince him to come home and 
Butch said, no, I'm, I'm a branded man. I'll just bring shame on our family. The Mormons hate us already, and we've got to live with the Mormons, and, and uh, so maybe I'll come home someday. Word has it that he did go near there once and, and went, went home but didn't go home. He was on a hill overlooking his old home and, and watched as his, uh, as his brothers and sisters were still there playing. But um, it was funny because I guess one of his sisters was quite attractive, and Charlie Seringo, who was a Pickerton man, wrote a book himself about trying to chase down Butch Cassidy, and he went back to Butch's hometown to look for him and, and uh, had met Butch's sister and fell in love with her. <laughs> that would have been something. Yeah, yeah. He said I had I had to get out of there. He said I had to get out of there because I was falling in love with this girl. <laughs> but if Bush had, Bush had heard that, I think he might have killed somebody. But and and not his sister either. No, so, yeah, it would have been the time. But uh, but they, you know, again, uh, Sundance wrote to his sister. Uh, they owned a. A business. One sister owned a sewing business, very successful, and she changed her name because she didn't want to be tied. When he became famous, they knew he was Longabaugh, and she didn't want to be known as Longabaugh. The other sister had married, and she her name was different, and they owned a small business. They did rod iron and things like that, and and uh, she would get letters from Sundance, and she would make notations in the company books that Sundance had written to her. And they even came and brought Edda at one point on one of their trips from Bolivia. He came and introduced her to the family and said he was in town to have, uh, he was going up to Buffalo because he uh, had an old gunshot wound that he needed taken care of. Whether that was true or not, don't know. That's what she said. Well, the Pinkertons found out that he'd been uh, writing to her and they bribed the local postal clerk to stop the letters from Sundance so that they could find out where they were postmarked and where he was. But um, they didn't have much success doing that either. And then the letters stopped November 6, 1908, wow. when they were killed in Bolivia. Kind so of says, says that, it all. that's kind of another, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of another sign right there that, yeah. that they, uh, they were killed in yeah. Bolivia. Yeah, it sure so. sounds like it, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, this has been great. What a, what a, what a great conversation. Um, we really appreciate you coming by. Um, the book, The Last Outlaws, and it's the lives and legends of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Cat. And our author has been, our, the author's Tom Hatch, and he's been our guest too. Thanks for being on the show. You're quite welcome. I enjoyed it. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com.